0: This is a whole observatory podcast.
1: Five, four,
2: three, two, one. Zero. Welcome to Starstuff, space podcast. Hey, this is Cody Halfmoon, and you're listening to Starstuff. We have done an episode before about the path of an astronomer. So we sat down uh, with uh, Kyler Keene and Joe Lama and talked about how they got to where they are today. But what we wanted to do was talk to some of our female scientists who have incredible paths, and it might be a little bit different. So um, I'm joined today, obviously, our co-host, Haley Osborne. Hi, Haley. Hi, guys. And Dr. Catherine Clark. Hello. Hello. And Dr. Lauren Viddle. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Mm-hmm. And um you guys uh both uh received your PhD somewhat recently, is that right? Yes, we both received our PhDs in April, so just a few months ago. It's exciting. Hi. How's it how's it sound hearing the Dr. Clark and Dr. Biddle? Still catches me off guard a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you you're you're not used to it yet? Not quite yet. Oh, we'll, we'll break you of that. <laughs> we will, we will only refer to you throughout this podcast as Dr. Clark and Dr. Biddle. We'll really hammer it in
3: <laughs> kind of a rush. Honestly, I'm like, ooh. ooh,
2: ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what we did for Teddy when, when he oh, came yeah? on. Mm-hmm. It's calling him Dr. Teddy the whole time. He was like, yeah. I don't know if this is a joke or. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, y'all. I mean, super exciting. Um, I know we were at AAS recently, and you got to both sort of present your thesis to um, a public audience as, um, like, you know, to a research audience. So that must have been pretty thrilling. Definitely. Yeah. So
1: um, the American Astronomical Society has you give a dissertation talk when you finished your PhD. And so both Lauren and I we're able to give our dissertation talks at this year's AS meeting, which was dissertation. A lot that's of fun. The word.
2: <laughs> Either way, <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, congratulations again! And so let's. Let's just get into it. Um, so, Dr. Clark, since I picked on you first, I'll continue to pick on you. <laughs> uh, tell us about your uh, your research. What did you present your dissertation uh, in the field of study that you found yourself in?
1: Sure. So, my dissertation was focused on the smallest, coldest, faintest type of stars. They are called M dwarfs, um, mm. and I have been looking for them in multi star systems. So we use mainly a very high resolution imaging technique called speckle imaging uh, using mainly the telescope outside of Flagstaff to look at these stars and to and to try to find their faint companions that may not have previously been discovered. Uh, And this is important because. Not knowing whether a star is single or a multiple can affect the detection and characterization of planets orbiting these stars. And the M-dwarfs are currently the best place to look for planets with current instrumentation because of their small size. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
1: knowing whether they are single or binary is very important to uh, studies of exoplanets.
2: So you're just looking for aliens out there, basically. <laughs> Trying to find <laughs> some aliens, definitely. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Carrying uh, are on these... the work of Percival Lowell. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Continuing the legacy. Um, are these gas giants, I'm assuming?
1: Um, the planets can be anything from gas giants to rocky planets. Gas giants, of course, are easier to detect because they are larger. Um, but whether a star is single or binary, affects all kinds of planets. Oh, okay, gotcha.
3: Nice, nice. That sounds dope. (laughs) So I'm sure you're excited about James Webb and its exoplanetary capabilities, right?
1: Definitely, yeah. There will be some really exciting results coming out of JWST.
3: That's super exciting. Um, Dr. Biddle, what about you? What did you do your dissertation on? Yeah. So uh,
0: the motivation behind my research uh, focuses largely around uh, the question of how does nature create the conditions uh, that can host life? So we know that Earth can... Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Uh, Earth hosts life. That is something we are very confident about. And it's a planet. And so we're like, okay, well, uh, maybe we should, uh, learn more about how planets form and evolve such that maybe one day they might host life or not. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so those are kind of the, that's the motivation here. Um, and, uh, one way that we can help answer that question is to like observe planets forming over uh, a wide time span. So like from birth Mm -hmm. to uh, where they are, where we observe them now, uh, what happened to them? How like how did they form? Uh, are there as many young planets as there are old planets? Things right. like that. And what do their atmospheres look like? So, um, but it's actually really difficult to uh, detect the youngest planets around the youngest stars. And so, um, basically, as we can only know as much about a planet as we do about the star. If we were to detect them indirectly, like with say, like transits where the uh, the planet passes in front of the star, creating a a dip in the light curve or the brightness of the system. Um, So like that, that's one way, but like, we're really just observing the brightness of the star. And so uh, young stars in particular make it difficult to detect planets with traditional means because they've got flares, they've got uh, big star spots. And so like, there's a lot going on there that can, Mm -hmm. um, just drown out or overwhelm planetary signals. So that's setting the stage. I, Mm -hmm. uh, wanted to characterize, uh, the youngest stars really well, and, uh, Mm -hmm. that can help us, uh, potentially find more young planets and, uh, We've, we may have even uh, found a new way that we can detect the young planets uh, that are orbiting very close into their host star.
2: Let's get into some background. So, Dr. Clark, um, what got you into astronomy? Was it really young age? Was it something that you discovered like in high school or perhaps even in uh, college What got you on this track?
1: Yeah, so I actually wanted to be an architect for a long time. I remember drawing pictures of houses. I was really interested in that for some reason. Actually, when I was first applying to colleges, um, I was first looking at architecture programs. And then I'm not entirely sure what switched in my brain, but I do recall loving my uh, physics teachers in high school. I took a uh, physics honors class my sophomore year with Mr. Schmidt. Shout out Mr. Schmidt, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> shout and, out then, Mr. Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, took AP physics my senior year. Uh, shout out Mr. Peterson. I just really looked <laughs> out having great physics teachers. And so then I decided to major in physics in college um, and later in college decided to switch to astronomy i didn't realize that you could major in astronomy Um, oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i you know you're still taking a majority of physics classes um Mm -hmm. but you're at least in my program your upper level labs were replaced by astronomy courses astronomy electives Mm -hmm. so that was really fun um i really enjoyed the professors the people in my classes um, I always had an idea in the back of my mind that I wanted to get a PhD in astronomy. I always found really? astrophysics, the most interesting part of physics, um, but I wasn't quite sure how to get there. And so I was very excited when mm-hmm. I discovered the astrophysics major and was able to focus in on the space side of physics
2: from that younger age. It's amazing what educators will do to people's career paths. I mean, every person, every scientist that we talk to, and honestly, every, uh, people in other fields, it always goes back to, there was this one teacher, which Mm -hmm. I think is amazing. (laughs) Absolutely. Teachers are so important.
1: No
3: kidding. Yeah. And, uh, Dr. Biddle, what about you? What got you into this field so um, I've
0: always known since I was little that I wanted to do something science related. So it was hmm. like I was going to be a marine biologist. I feel like every yeah. many I would say many uh, people in my circle were like, yeah. "I wanted to be one too." That's the nineties of you.
3: I wanted <laughs> to be a marine biologist too.
0: Why <laughs> did where did we all get this idea?
1: Marine biology. We <laughs> no fascinated.
0: Parks
3: <laughs> are awesome. Um,
1: yeah. So.
0: <laughs> But yeah, so like I've always been interested in science and, um, I was, uh, lucky enough to have a family that really supported my interest in science. Um, my papa in particular was, uh, uh he would supplement me with interesting science projects and even got me my uh-huh. like first little telescope. Um, It'll be then- on display one day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so it wasn't until high school though, that I realized like, oh, this is actually what I want to do, and um, it started with physics first. Uh, Mr. Pinnell, what up? And uh, he actually uh, signed into my uh, dissertation defense, which I was um, really honored that he come and Aww. watch. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing.
2: And so,
0: yeah, so Mr. Pinnell uh, taught both uh, physics and astronomy in my high school. So I, ca- I came from. Uh, Wait, you had
2: astronomy in a
0: high school? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's I was, um, privileged enough to find myself in that situation where I could take it before I went to college. That's amazing. And, 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 you know, going to college at all, I think it's really, um, I'm very lucky and, and fortunate to have had the opportunity to take this path. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was actually, we had class at nighttime um, instead of during the daytime. And so we went out uh, this place called uh, it was just, well, it was just like a park by our house. It was really dark. And I remember looking through the telescope and seeing the Orion nebula and realizing oh. that like those photons, uh, or oh, light particles that left that nebula, uh, traveled through space and, <laughs> and the, the unlikely probability that it wouldn't hit my eye and, and been yeah. registered really by my conscious, like uh, that happened. And yeah, uh, blew me away. mind like, bending. Yeah. Like this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And since, then, yeah. uh, I, I can't imagine anything else I would rather do with my life. Yeah.
2: That that's incredible. So cool. Like that mind bending moment where it's like, I think, uh, John described it to me once is like, you know, that light traveled all the way there just to end up in your pupil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. the, where it's, that's where it, it's journey ended. It's like, man. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Special. It's like,
3: even if you look at the exact same thing as someone else, you're not seeing the exact same thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a totally
2: different light and mm-hmm. oh it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's my photon. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So um, I love the the connection again to marine biology. I know we sort of reference this in an episode before, cause I feel deeply about it. Um, I feel like the, like the wonders of the deep sea, uh, there's like a connection there with space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's vast. It's unknown. It's, uh, you know, obviously with the sea, you can kind of jump in, but you can't really go down to the depths of it. And there are sea creatures that will have existed in the past and we'll have never known about it. We just have to see evidence of it. And also, I'm terrified of deep sea, always have been. And I'm actually <laughs> kind of terrified of space. The more I learn about it, it sounds terrifying. So. <laughs> I feel like there's a connection there. So that's kind of cool. All of y'all were, were sea nerds. Um, what did you want to originally research? Like, was it always exoplanets uh, or other life, that kind of thing? Or was there something that led to that?
1: Let's see. So as an undergraduate, I actually studied... More along the lines of what Lauren studies, I studied what are called T Tauri stars. So these are very young stars. And so T Tauri? T Tauri, yes. Um, so I was looking at um, the disks that surround them, so the place where planets form, and also what's called accretion, so um, mm. whether the star was uh, gaining material from this disk or not. Um, Which I
2: I thought for the longest was secretion disk, and I was very confused. A little bit different, yeah. (laughs) A little bit different. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Yeah,
1: and I I kind of fell into that. Um, I actually uh, spent a summer working at an observatory in Chile, and Mm. the advisor I was working with there, that was the project that he had for me. And so um, kind of fell into that. I also kind of fell into... Uh, what I worked on in graduate school, I was admitted to work on a specific project uh, with my advisor, Gerard Van Bell, uh, to look at these small stars. Um, and We knew
2: him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I swear, he comes up in every episode. <laughs> I think he does. He came I, up in the last one. Like the seven degrees of Gerard Van Bell. Yeah. <laughs> He's everywhere. <Yeah. laughs> um, so... Um,
1: those kind of, you know, came to me, but then when you're creating your dissertation, you got to find out what interests you. And that's kind of when I began exploring the implications of my work on planets. And now as I start this postdoc, um, I'll be shifting my focus even more onto the planets. So, um, I've been studying the stars themselves as Lauren mentioned. Um, you know, we're only working with photons and stars generate a lot of photons. It's, um, often hard for us to study the planet itself because it's so faint in comparison to its star. Um, Right. But, you know, it's also important to understand the planets themselves. And with these future missions that are coming online, um, it'll be more and more easy to do that. And so for um, my postdoc, I'll be shifting my focus onto more of the planets themselves. So I would say. I have a question.
2: What yeah, is, go ahead. So this is going to be a really dumb question, uh, and I no so dumb I got questions. my Okay, perfect. <laughs> I got my bachelor's degree in English literature, very specific 18th century medical English literature. It was a weird time in my life. It was great. Never pursued <laughs> anything after that. So I, when you say postdoc, and I've obviously. Read. I've written bios, and I, so I'm like, oh, the postdoc was in. Isn't everything postdoc like? What does that really mean? <laughs> you know no, what I that's mean? It's like, just like thing. the first thing you do after you. Is it? Does it have any implications to your actual degree? I, I guess I I've, I'm always a little confused about that. So
1: no, that's a great question, and I think anyone who exists outside of academia, might have that same question. So
2: Okay, cool. I'm not um, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No.
1: So essentially what a postdoc is, is it's, I, I use a very loose analogy of it being similar to a residency after medical school where you're gaining more experience. You're not yet a full-fledged doctor who's able to um, operate on their own, but you have the degree, you have the title, um, you have much more experience and confidence and are able to work as, you know, in that case, a doctor or in our case, a researcher much more independently. Um, So it's usually about three years uh, where you're just trying to do a ton of research, get your name out there, write papers um, to then later, if you'd like to continue down the academic track, apply to tenure track positions. So it's kind of oh, this,
2: got like, it. So this is the scrubs example. as if we're doing TV shows, this is the scrubs yeah, season of your life. Okay. Got it, got it. Nice. I'm on board. I'm on board. Um, yeah, we, I guess in English, it would just be like, Oh, like if you have an internship for a bit before you get your, you know, real job, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, so they always work interns to the bone. So I have opinions about that, but okay. So postdoc, uh, and this is something you apply for that specifically a postdoc, um, opportunity, and it has to be specific to that.
1: Yes. So both Lauren and I are starting postdocs and we both spent this past year applying to postdoctoral positions. Mm-hmm. So, um, You know, you can apply to faculty positions straight out of grad school, but you are much more competitive if you've done a postdoc or even multiple
2: postdocs before
1: applying to those types of positions.
2: And I almost don't even want to get to that part of the conversation because I'm really (laughs) sad because both of you are leaving. (laughs) Sadly, we'll be back. (laughs) You'll be back. You'll be back.
3: Right. As Kevin, as Kevin Schindler says, everyone comes back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: So Dr. Biddle, what, what about you? What did you want to research while you were, you know, in college and all that?
0: So I didn't really have, um, at least at first, I didn't really have a desired, topic that I wanted mm. to research. I was into it all. I just wanted to, I was, uh, a <laughs> I just wanted to absorb it, absorb everything. Um, <laughs> and then there was in my observational astronomy class in undergrad, we had to do a project, uh, where we would, uh, go to a telescope and take observations on our own and then reduce them, which is just like preparing the data for analysis and then analyze the data and, and just essentially do like a, a a research project uh yeah. that was attainable for for like um an undergrad course and my thought was okay i'm gonna go find an exoplanet <laughs> that's what i mean <laughs> um i mean like it wasn't i mean it wasn't impossible to discover a new exoplanet for an undergrad class <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know maybe that was um think that was, that was very optimistic. And, just, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but like, that was what I, you know, that was the thing that came to mind. And I was like, you know, I really like the concept of exoplanets, I like the concept of finding life elsewhere mm-hmm. in the universe, or at least determining how that can come about. And so, um, with that, uh, we, we ended up getting a, an exoplanet transit of one that was already, um, one that was already discovered, mm-hmm. but that was, at that point, I was like, "Yep, this is it. I'm hooked. I want that." Nice.
2: So, what is your, uh, what are y'all doing for your postdoc? So, I'll be starting a position um, between
1: both the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a NASA center in Pasadena, California, uh, as well as the California Institute of Technology. Uh, like I said, I will be focusing a bit more on the planets themselves. Um, but also with a relation to stars and binarity, that kind of thing won't completely leave my grad school work <laughs> behind. Um, but essentially, trying to find, you know, the next Tatooine, uh, if you yeah. remember Star Wars, yes. and seeing yes. yeah. multiple suns in the sky. So, you know, we know of these all these stars in these single star systems. We know of a few um, or planets in these uh, single star systems. We know of a few planets in multi star systems um but we don't really know what's the same or different between planets in a single or a multi-star system so okay. that's kind of what i hope to find out is how being in a multi-star system affects the formation and evolution of the planets in those systems
2: how can you have a planet in a multi on a binary star system
1: so there are
2: a couple different ways
1: so you can have a circumstellar planet. So this is a planet that orbits one of the stars in the multi-star system. Um, you can also have a circumbinary planet, which orbits both stars in the multi-star system. Um, oh, the tides but, must be
2: crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it must be it's insane. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know there are only so many formations that allow a planet to actually evolve in the system that. Uh, the planet doesn't get sucked up into the star or thrown out of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're looking at systems where we know that the planet can stay in a stable orbit.
2: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> nice. And Dr. Biddle, what
3: about you? What's your what's your postdoc going to be? I'll be working
0: with the exoplanets uh, group at University of Texas in Austin, <gasps> and. Um, I'm almost kind of like <laughs> things up a little bit. You can say Texas, woo, go. You, I'm so excited.
2: <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so uh, before I was studying uh, planets that were existed really close in to their host star. Uh, but now I'm actually going to be looking at wide orbit planets and brown dwarfs, more, much more massive as well. So like jupiter size planets or, or bigger or more like massive. Jupiter-Pluto? A Jupiter, <laughs> <laughs> but just, yeah, much uh, very large planets on wide orbits, and cool. uh, and will actually uh, directly image those planets. So instead cool. of having indirect cool. detections from transits or radial velocity, which is where we look at the star uh, for, uh, for like a, a wobble from the gravitation of the orbiting planet, mm-hmm. this is actually direct images of exoplanets around their host star that we block out the light so that that's we can amazing
2: the yeah and so Wait, we Hubble to do that Hubble uh, okay I was yeah. like I know there's no telescope in Austin that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> could do that are you gonna head out to McDonald's at any point oh certainly yeah absolutely ah, I'm so jealous I'll make oh. time for that <laughs> oh that's can you, amazing can you tell where Cody's from
1: <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, McDonald Observatory is just for, I guess, our listeners um, out in West Texas, and they are great friends of ours. We are doing a few marketing partnerships with them, and mostly because I adore them, and I'm on the marketing team, so it's happening. <laughs> so, really excited. I'm hoping to make it so that it's like, oh darn, I guess we have to go visit. <laughs> oh. Shoot. <laughs> Maybe it's because Dr. Biddle, who was previously at Wool, is going to be out there and we need to, you know, yeah, talk about her research. <laughs> <laughs> so will you be office there in Austin? I will, yes. Fantastic. So you guys aren't going to miss us at all. Catherine's <laughs> going to be having a time of her life in L.A., I'm assuming. Uh, yes, Pasadena. So just outside to the north of L.A. Uh, must be horrible, and <laughs> Lauren, you'll be living it up in Austin. Wow, yep,
0: <laughs> lots of good food, lots of music,
2: and uh, I just recently learned that there's a really great cheese place. So, I'll be yeah. oh, That's so sweet. many great cheeses in central Texas, <laughs> it's a big thing. Um, there are just entire cheese stores where they yeah a few of my friends were made an entire career out of just knowing cheese so <laughs> oh,
3: nice yeah. and the barbecue
2: can't forget the barbecue oh my god the barbecue mm-hmm. uh and they're in the astronomy department are right, will you be partaking in any of like like will you be teaching any classes i don't know how that works i'm sorry or just is do they have a research arm and that's all that's where you will be so
0: um, I probably won't be teaching any classes, but I do hopefully have an opportunity to mentor a student, which would be really great. I'd love, I'd love that opportunity to work on those skills and um, and help make a difference in someone else's life, too. That's
2: amazing. That's awesome. Well, but I know, we're not done with the episode, but guys, congratulations. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Thank you seriously. so much. It must just be like you have to pinch yourself sometimes. I mean, it all also- <laughs> <No. laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, grad school is long. So it's- yeah. <laughs> it almost doesn't feel real
2: that it's coming to an end. So what were y'all doing at Lowell? Like what uh, if that was, I guess you were getting your doctorate program and researching at Lowell as Uh, And obviously in a research capacity, right? How does that work? What were y'all doing?
1: Yeah, so um, we both attended Northern Arizona University for our PhDs, uh, but we both did our research at Lowell Observatory. So uh, my advisor, Gerard Van Bell, uh, works at Lowell. And so um, he had funding for a graduate student and contacted NAU to um, look for a student to admit um, and so, although I was admitted to NAU, it was to work on a research project with Gerard. Um, so I did spend most of my time, especially once classes were finished, up at Lowell rather than down at NAU.
2: Nice. That's awesome. And was it like a like a certain like one year with Gerard Van Bell? Like, how does that sort of work?
1: Um, it was my whole time in graduate school. So um, I was admitted to oh, work with okay. him, and he became my research advisor. Um, you know, there were, you have your committee and for me, I had to, I think for both of us, we had to have co-chairs, um, one of yeah. whom was down at NAU to do the bureaucracy of have, doing a PhD. Um, yeah, he was my, my research advisor for my full five years in grad school. That's nice. awesome. That
2: sounds like it was just a lot of
1: fun. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a good time. I lucked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. What about you, Dr. Biddle? So my advisor uh, is Dr. Lisa Prado. And nice. uh, it's a very similar situation. She's also adjunct faculty at uh, Northern Arizona University. And mm-hmm. I started working with her um, actually before I was even admitted to uh, NAU. I applied for grad school uh, and I was uh, not a- admitted. Not, I was not accepted the first time around. And so um, no in kidding. the industry, yeah, I, I was not admitted, but I mean, I was very determined. And yeah. so mm-hmm. um, one of these things, you know, if you want something bad enough, just be persistent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Persistence goes a long ways. And so um, in the meantime, I did a few uh, research uh, internships. And so I before working with Lisa, I was at Gemini Observatory <gasps> in Hawaii. What? And, Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. I love that experience. Which is the largest telescope? Am I getting that wrong? Um, It's on Mauna Kea. It's not the uh, the largest telescope in terms of diameter. Um, Some might argue, like depending on if you're talking about like an array. So, like the Mm -hmm. large uh, binocular telescope would potentially be the largest if you're counting the area of both mirrors Mm -hmm. um, and 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 in the optical at least. Um. But yeah, so then after uh, I was in Hawaii, I came to do a uh, research uh, assistantship, assistantship with uh, Dr. Prado. And uh, then I learned about the master's program at Northern Arizona University and applied to that. And then when I graduated from, well, with my master's, I also applied for the uh, PhD program and I was admitted and I've continued to
2: work with Dr. Prado um, since then. And you sound, you're reminding me so much of Dr. Kathy Olkin, uh, who was the, you know, the PI for the Lucy mission at NASA. When we talked to her about her path of becoming a scientist, it was very much, she was just like, oh man, yeah, I was just really stubborn and really persistent and I would not accept no as an answer. And I just kept reapplying and reapplying. And then I was a backup and then I kept pushing. (laughs) Um, So I love the determination Yeah, thank you. Uh, You know, that's
0: really what it takes is if you at first you don't succeed, try and try
2: again. And Mm -hmm. uh, um, I was able to keep my foot in the door and uh, it worked out. It's amazing because it's like you know, you hear these stories or like even, you know, Kathy's a great example. Talking to her was like, oh my God, you did what? And then you did what? That's amazing. I can't believe you did that. Just like, believe me, you know, it's not a lot of its luck and a lot of it is just refusing to give up. (laughs) Yeah. So on that topic, what, uh, if any, I guess, barriers did you find uh, as a woman in your field of study? Have you seen any barriers? Did you have to maybe work harder to stand out? It's like some stories that we've heard from people on the podcast. Uh, just curious.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely feel like there were barriers from a young age. Um, you know, I do hold a lot of privilege and so have not seen nearly as many barriers as some other people in astronomy. Um, but I do have memories from a young age. For instance, I was in math club in seventh grade, <laughs> classic. And um, we met Friday mornings at 730 and we would do these um you know they would show questions and you would answer them and you would compete against the different people in the club and i remember competing against a male student in the class and the the question came up and i knew the answer right away but he didn't know it right away and i thought if he doesn't know it that means i must not have the right answer and i waited and waited mm-hmm. and then finally he figured it out and i was right but i just automatically, even from that young age, had this belief that men were better at math and science than me. Right. Um, and that kind of continued. I remember I was taking uh, my first semester of college. I took a uh, honors physics course, and the majority of people in the course were men. Mm-hmm. And the first week of class, we were assigned this group project, and I was in a group with three men and they automatically told me I was going to be the secretary and that I, I wouldn't do any of the, the work on the project. I would just write everything down that they did. You know, I don't even think it was malicious, but that was just kind of what was expected. And um, I unfortunately, you know, in my first internship, I had a female advisor, actually, who called me into her office one day and told me that because I was wearing knee length dresses to work, that I would distract my male co-workers and uh, I should oh dress more masculine to be taken seriously. Oh um, my God. And excuse me, me. <laughs> that was very difficult to hear. I was holding yeah. back tears in her office and it was my first research experience. I thought I was dressing as professionally as possible. Um, she also assumed that my male co couldn't handle being around a woman in a dress, particularly a 19 year old student. Um, So that's, you know, insulting to them as well. So, yeah, definitely, unfortunately, have had many anecdotes like that um, surrounding my gender, uh, which is why it's so important for us to talk about our experiences being female scientists. And um, I also am hoping to mentor some students as a postdoc. So hopefully pass on these stories and uh, support future generations of scientists who've been told that. They can't do it.
2: Well, and also it's like, it's so maddening that it's constantly that it's just like a a default where yeah. the men are the center of the room. So are we dressing to make them comfortable? You know, are they intimidated? Do they get the floor first? You know, like definitely we all I think have experienced tiptoeing around that. Um, I know. In, in the corporate world, it's a big problem because I have been, I, I dress like a potato sack. Like I do not have a good <laughs> sense of style usually because I'm tired. I'm not a morning person. Um, and I have been pulled into HR constantly along with a lot of friends just like, oh, well, your shirt, it was just a little tight or it was a little this or, you know, uh, I mean, con- since I was in college. And so I can't imagine how defeating it is to be in a field. Cause of course I was in a field where it was a lot of women. I can't imagine being in a field where it's a majority of men and also having to deal with that. Like that must be, make you feel like so self-conscious and a little shaken instead of focusing on the research, you know? Definitely. Yeah. You know, all of our goals is to focus
1: on the research and to get the science done and do what we're really excited and passionate about what we're here for. So to be under that scrutiny as a woman is, um,
2: has -hmm. definitely been difficult. Do you see it less as you're getting further into your career? Yes. Personally, I
1: have felt, uh, less scrutinized the older I've gotten. I think as you get these degrees, people respect you more, which is kind Mm -hmm. of messed up. You know, you deserve respect regardless of where you are in your career, um, but I think also my confidence as a scientist has grown, and people tend to respond better to confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just kind of learned, you know, how best to navigate this field as a woman in a male dominated space. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely the culture needs to, it, I, I do see it changing, but it needs to change more um, so that, yeah. you know, all people are respected in this field.
2: We not could just the,
1: the straight white men. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Lauren, yeah. was it the same for you? I had a lot of very similar
0: experiences. And um, yeah, the majority of them are uh, a result of unconscious bias or somebody um, not taking me as seriously as they should, um, just based off of uh, how I present myself and, um, and, and just how I look. Uh, and then others, that it was very clearly like known bias. I've, I actually had a uh, a, a person uh, of authority in the past, in undergrad, uh, who was in charge of a grade and of mine, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. I I was told that I couldn't, I, I, I didn't have it to be. A scientist. I didn't have what it takes to be an astronomer, and they made comments about my makeup. Um, and I'm pretty sure that they had intended to fail me from the moment they saw that I walked in and I had mascara on. Good uh, gosh. I, yeah, I just like I think a lot of people have perceptions of what uh, a scientist looks and behaves like, and uh, those preconceptions can uh, affect their future actions, um, whether they know it or not. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that uh, I find that even myself is like I need to actively work on and I need to work on being an ally, uh, not only to uh, other uh, women in astronomy, but also other underrepresented groups as well. And so I'm, I am I think that one of the things that uh, over the years that has gotten better is that there's a lot more awareness and uh, a lot more resources for helping the, the field and, and the world, uh, become yeah. more aware of these things and, and aware of their biases and, and resources to work on those and get better and be a good ally. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So because of that, that's something that
2: I, I personally try to work on. Um, Lauren, that is maddening. Like I'm so mad for both. Of you. It's <laughs> yeah. like, Because you're in such a vulnerable state in those ages. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I'm still always in a vulnerable state, but (laughs) especially (laughs) like when you're trying to figure out what you want to do and you're pursuing a career, which is also like you feel really vulnerable because you might be second guessing yourself. And then, you know, it might sound like a one off moment or just something from one person, but like. Those words live. They 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 take up rent in your head. You know, like they'll oh, come yeah. back to you, even if you feel vindicated and it's like, haha, mm-hmm. ha, I've done this thing. Take that, teacher. They're still there. You know, like yeah. kind of stars, like going and knocking on their door and being like, look at this, <laughs> look at me now, look at what I've done. Exactly, and it's frustrating because they're still there, rent free. You know what I mean? Like those those things will will haunt you. I mean. I know like I've had exes and the, the, they're stupid and I disregard what they say, but their words stick around for a long time. Like humans are social creatures and that doesn't just go away, you know? So it's so frustrating knowing all of the other things that go against someone getting through to that PhD and that postdoc opportunity. There are so many hurdles, institutionalized, like uh, so much bureaucrat, like bureaucratic stuff and the the, the late nights, like that's already hard. So like to add that, um, but I think it's amazing that both of you are going to be mentors. Uh, and I wanted to actually point it out to Haley, cause I know like you've been, you know, through the ringer a bit with the college <laughs> and yeah. you were also at NAU. So I didn't know if you had any similar experiences.
3: Yeah. I mean, like it, The most noticeable thing to me was more so like how many women were in my classes and Mm -hmm. the fact that like um, I had one professor where me and these two guys would do our homework together and we would turn in basically the same thing, you know, because we were like working on it together. We weren't like copying off of each other or anything and they would get better grades than me every single time. Mm. And so it's like, okay. At a certain point, it's not that I'm doing worse than them. It's that the teacher <laughs> is sexist, you know, like, yeah. and I hate being like, oh, it's the teacher's fault because I, I hate people who blame the teachers all the time. But like, in this case, it was definitely noticeable because it's like we turned in the exact same thing yeah. and I got points taken off for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Like your mount, your, your climb to the top is steeper yes. than others and. In- Um, I know that's a hard barrier to break, though, because it's by person. It's by individual, you know,
3: exactly, because like I had professors who were great and didn't do things like that. But then, of course, there are certain professors in the STEM field who are like, oh, you're a woman, so Mm -hmm. you're automatically less. And that sucks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like hard to even imagine what kind of hurdles people can face if they're of a minority race or of, you know, uh, a religion that's marginalized in the U S like that kind of thing. Or it's like, I can't imagine the hurdles, especially in a male dominated field, but I think, you know, more and more women paving the way for that, like y'all are doing is really important. Thank you. Yeah. I think that there's, A lot of people hold the opinion that
1: there aren't these explicit barriers holding people back who aren't, you know, straight, cis, white men from achieving these things. But Mm -hmm. like you were saying, you know, those words that people in position of power are telling you stay in your brain and really discourage you from wanting to continue in the field, you know, thinking you're not good enough or just not wanting to be around people who act like that. And so I think there are a lot more invisible barriers that people don't see that need to be. The culture needs to change the culture in these departments and in these fields need to change Um, Mm -hmm. just because people can access the field doesn't mean that the fields are actually equitable.
3: on um, academia, I know this is something that I personally have struggled with, and I know a lot of females in this field have struggled with, but uh, have either of you ever experienced imposter syndrome? I would say that
0: um, until I defended my dissertation, I did not experience imposter syndrome. Um, And now that I have my PhD, it's um. What's how do I say so? Others will be like, so you're the expert in this thing, right? You are the mm-hmm. one person in the world who knows the most about this very specific thing, and <laughs> and, and I'm just like I'm sitting here. And you know that meme of like the dog, the golden retriever with, with the a, lab. He says, "I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing." Oh my but god, yeah. I
2: had that as my background on my laptop for a it long, long
0: time. <laughs> that, that embodies the way that I feel uh, right now. Like now that I have the degree, I still don't, I still very much don't feel like the expert, like the fact that I got my, my postdoc that I was awarded this position and I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, how did I trick them into, into hiring me? (laughs) But I am qualified. You know, I got this position for a reason as something that I have to remind myself over and over again. Like I am Mm -hmm. here for a reason. I got here because I,
2: you know, I should be here. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be running the wheel of the Hubble. What? Like, (laughs) it's insane.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with Lauren. I think when these big um, transition times come up, for instance, when I was applying to grad school or for postdocs, it's like, how did I trick them (laughs) into giving me this position? But in reality, you know, people aren't going to take a chance on or hire those Mm -hmm. who they don't believe in or who they don't think can get the job done. So yeah, yeah. Trying to remind us of that. Um, but sometimes it's difficult for sure. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I'll say what I know of, uh, Dr. Prado. I actually don't know her that well. I've, you know, uh, Watched as or read as much stuff as I could about her, and then from what I know of Gerard, they're definitely kind, incredible, brilliant, uh, and they wouldn't, you know, give that time to someone that they didn't think was the best. Uh, they I know that they have high standards for their work, so the fact that you guys worked for them is I think just also says a lot. What was your proudest moment so far? Like what was the moment where you were just like you were like this is the moment. Like this is the feeling I was waiting for.
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Um for me at least I feel like you have these moments and then a little bit the doubt creeps in. Um, yeah. and you know there's always you always move the goalpost of okay, mm. we'll I achieve this, what's next? But mm-hmm. you know with Uh, defending my dissertation this year and getting the Ph.D. and becoming a doctor. I was really trying to focus on those moments and just really letting that set in and being like, okay, I've dreamed of this. You know, I decided I would get a Ph.D. in astronomy when I was 16. Dreamed of this for 10 years and now it's actually happening. And so just tried Mm -hmm. to to relish that and let that soak in and um, Mm -hmm. enjoy that as much as possible and, and just feel proud of myself.
2: Yeah. Give yourself the the feeling, like allow yourself to feel the happiness. Absolutely. Before the next goal pops in. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Biddle. I, I would say,
0: I have, I have to think, Oh, you know what? I know. Okay. So, um, it, the moment that came, that comes to mind is when I, uh, was, uh, after I gave my public dissertation talk, uh, at NAU uh, usually after that, you meet with your committee afterwards, and then they, they ask you every question they can think of about your research, and you have to defend it. Mm. And uh, if you pass, you're a doctor. And so uh, it was at the moment where we were nearing the very end, uh, and they uh, were discussing and they decided that I should pass uh, my, my advisor, Dr. Prado uh, looked at me and held out her hand and said, uh, congratulations. I introduce Dr. Biddle and ugly cried, like (laughs) tears. And that is the moment where like it, it all culminated in that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm yeah. tearing up
2: for you, and I've only had like three <laughs> conversations with you, Laura. <laughs> like, like, that
0: sounds so exciting. Oh yeah, I, I needed some, it took some time to collect myself after that. But you know, I was, I let, you gotta just like, let yourself cry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the moment where, yeah, tears were streaming, snot was. <laughs> yeah, that was,
1: yeah, it was awesome
2: <laughs> well i'm tearing up i have no reason to but i'm so happy for y'all <laughs> that's so amazing
1: no,
2: um thank you so we kind of talked about like women in stem and kind of what challenges we're facing today what advice would you give young women who are looking to be uh, get into this scientific career path you know a lot of our listeners they're Uh, A lot of them are in college right now, and some of them might be going through something where they can relate to your experiences. What would you tell them?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think for me, I would tell them that the worst someone can say is no, which is Mm -hmm. not true in all cases, but for the most part, the worst Mm -hmm. someone can say is no. And I think in academia, there. Networking is so important and mm-hmm. meeting people and gaining research experience, all that stuff is so important. And so just if you hear about someone whose research you're interested in them, is whose research you're interested in, reach out to them. And mm-hmm. you never know what they might say. When I was in undergrad, I decided I was majoring in both astronomy and Spanish, and I decided mm-hmm. there are a lot of observatories in Chile. I want to go work at an observatory in Chile. Um, and so I kind of just cold emailed <laughs> a few different mm-hmm. observatories to see who might take a student and, you know, their seasons are opposite. So I would be going during the winter when they don't mm. have cold summer RU programs. Um, and of course, some places said no, but one place said yes and yep. I ended up getting funding from the university to go and it all kind of fell into place. And oh that was also something I was really proud of because I kind of made it happen for myself. And mm-hmm. I think something that a lot of people from underrepresented groups feel is a lack of confidence uh, because we told, we've told we been told we shouldn't feel confident. Um, but, you know, these other men are out here feeling very confident and just going whatever after whatever they want to go after and succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so I think just going after what you're interested in um, is, you know, the worst thing, the worst they can say is no. So I've tried to hold that, um, saying close throughout the past few years.
2: It's such a science, like I can hear the scientist in you because like, <laughs> you know, if and this is, you know, I might be just going based off what I read in books, but I feel like scientists, like they get no, and that's not a lose. You know what I mean? It's like a win or a lose. They get a Absolutely. no and they're like, huh now what? You know what I mean? Like the way that scientists look at the world, I think is just a little bit different. No offense. Y'all, y'all different. <laughs> but you know, like that kind of, you know, this is my thesis and this is what I think I want to happen. Oh, that didn't happen. Hmm. Okay. What do I do with that? Versus just like, Oh, well, guess I'll throw in the towel, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I might it- be romanticizing it a bit. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, you got to romanticize it to
1: some extent or else the nose is disappointing, but I think you're absolutely right. There is this mindset of, okay, well, that didn't work out. How can I tweak the experiment or tweak um, this life path so that it works for me? And just that, Mm -hmm. that determination uh, makes it happen. Like Lauren was saying with graduate school, um, oh, it didn't work out that way. How can I make it work? Um, And just... Trying, even if you don't feel confident, trying to exude that confidence and just going after whatever mm. you may want. And, you know, it
2: just might work out. Fake it till you make it. That's my life motto, man. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And I never uh, did a podcast before this shoot. <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Biddle, what, what advice would you give to, you know, young female students going into STEM? So I would say, um,
0: is that you will be met with feedback of all sorts. People will have a lot of opinions about, uh, how they think you should be, what you should do, how you should dress, how you should act, what you need to do to be successful. And, um, my advice to you is that do what you want to do and what you know is right for you. And you will know what that is. Everyone has such a unique experience in this life. And we all face individual challenges that are uh, unique to ourselves and you know, what is best for you. And if you want something, go get it Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and find out what it is that you need to do to do that. If you don't, know what it is, like what you need to do to do that, even then ask, uh, like Catherine was saying, you know, put yourself out there and, uh, you, whether the feedback is positive, negative, people are going to have a, like a lot of opinions about even like your personal life. Sometimes women get like, are you going to have a family? How are you going to fit family in? That's always a question I get. And yeah. it's just like, do what you want to do and what is right for you. And that's all it comes down to,
2: which it's like men don't get that question. How are they going to fit family in? I'm sorry. What? (laughs) So, uh, your advice would be, you do you,
0: Yeah, you do you, you do you. And, you know, accept the feedback that you think will help and then reject the feedback that you don't think will, but Mm -hmm. do what makes you happy. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that.
2: <laughs> you guys are so brilliant. Um, I love the opportunity just to get to like know you guys uh, for the short time that I got to. I'm glad I got to know you before you left Lowell uh, and thank you for I'm sorry if there was a bit of peer pressure, but right when I met both of you, I was like, we have to get you on a podcast. Like yeah. you guys are incredible. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> and I know you're both gonna inspire so many people uh, who listen to this podcast, no matter their age or where they are in their career, just because, um, I don't know. I mean, you guys are like living proof of just go after what you want and don't stop. <laughs> yeah,
3: honestly, hundred percent. Yeah, thank you for coming on, and uh, to our listeners out there, I would like to remind you that we have a Discord channel and a Twitter, where you can see some cool behind-the-scenes content, and uh, feel free to use the hashtag AskStarStuff uh, to ask us any questions, you could also... Tweet at us, drop something in the Discord, Mm -hmm. whatever you want. Uh, If you guys have any questions, we'll try our hardest to answer them. So, uh, thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for listening, and uh, thank you to Dr. Clark and Dr. Biddle.
1: Thank you for having us. This is really
3: nice.
2: Very enjoyable.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Had a great time.
2: (laughs) Thanks, guys. You guys rock. (laughs)
1: Power. (laughs) This
2: podcast was
1: made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu donate. Thanks for listening.